Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Good news, bad news. Bad news first. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. Good news. Growth comes from learning, which is a lifelong endeavor. At the Money Nerve Academy, we hold space to explore, navigate, discover, and heal your relationship with money. With our online course, Mastering the Emotions of Money, you can get in touch with your fears, blocks, and beliefs around money so that you can become more aware of your current financial story. By understanding why you do what you do with your money, you can create a different ending to your financial story than the one currently taking place. Check out themoneynerve.com and start mastering your emotions of money. Well, I am super excited today. We have an amazing guest, as we always do, but this one's extra amazing. Um, Ira Meltzner has uh, 36 years of experience and has been called Lender to the Stars since funding his first movie and TV star loans in 1986. His clients have set multi-million dollar residential financial rec- financing records across the U.S., and his team has funded more than $4 billion of luxury and ultra-luxury residential financing. His team learned exactly how to maximize wealth and benefits for 1 million-plus homeowners through financing. In 2016, Ira reinvented the home financing business with $1 million-plus, where clients get lower rates and a superior private bank lending experience. At $1 million-plus, their goal is to help clients protect and add to their wealth through leveraging, preparation, strategy, and superior access. And one cool thing about $1 million plus is they never take a penny from the lenders. They work strictly for the clients. Ira, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Bob. It's great to be here and do this with you. Well, you know, I guess, you know, my first question is, what's the difference between luxury and ultra luxury? (laughs) In the mind of the beholder, you know, because (laughs) if you live in a luxury home, you probably think it's ultra luxury, except when you pay your taxes, you know? (laughs) So, so what happens is in the actual financial markets, conforming loans go up to the mid $400,000 range and they'll be going up in January to the $500,000 range. And then in certain populated areas, the uh, conforming Fannie Freddie loans go up as high as a high balance in the $700,000 range. Over 700000 today to about a million, maybe two million is luxury lending luxury homes okay anything over two million dollars is beyond the scope of even the jumbo lenders and becomes uh, you know a special private banking uh, type of uh, portfolio loan and the homes that reflect that are basically homes over three million dollars i define that more specifically my clients generally have a liquidity of three million dollar minimum and $10 million net worth, those are definitely okay. ultra-luxury okay. clients, whether their homes aren't or not. Well, you know, in L.A., it's it's hard to feel luxurious. Like, I, I know my house is at, like, you know, 1.2, but it doesn't – like, it feels like a basic box. Um, you know, I, to me, it it feels like in L.A., 3 or $4 million just gets you a nice starter home. And there's a funny story about that in New York where I – was the originator for Countrywide Mortgage uh, Private Bank years ago, uh, before the crash of 2008. The people of New York wanted to make sure they got more money out of the wealthy people, so they instituted a special mansion tax 
on any property over a million dollars, only to later find out that every property in New York was now over <laughs> a million. million. And they tax themselves. They tax everybody. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's It's kind of funny about million-dollar homes today. Oh, that's funny. Did you always did you always want to be a money guy? Like when you were a little kid, were you like, money's the game? Well, I was a salesman. I was always a great salesman because I love people and I love trying to benefit people. Yeah. But I had a kind of wild childhood because I'm a, a, a child of the 60s, really. I grew up in the, you know, in college in the Bay Area with the Haight-Ashbury in Berkeley. Oh, and wow. All that. So I took another course, sort of like a rocket. I took a different <laughs> course. But when I came back to Earth in 1980, I decided I needed to do something else and become a, a, a citizen. And that's <laughs> when I got into... And really, I got into residential real estate at first in 1980 before the, the financial part in 85, because I thought selling real estate was the closest thing to, to dealing pot. <laughs> With a little more payoff. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to worry about, you know, flashing lights in the back of my car window. So it was a good thing that I made that choice. And then since then, in 85, I got into the I, I found out that the difference between my my self and others in the real estate industry was my lack, my knowledge in financing interest rates at 1.19% back then. Oh, wow. So to be able to sell a house, you had to be able to manipulate money and financing and carry back financing with sellers and all kinds of tricks and gimmicks to make it work. And I was so good at that, that in 1985, Cobalt Banker asked me to become their mortgage guy for Los Angeles. So I moved to Los Angeles and that's why I ended up in Southern California. I, I never thought I'd be in Southern California. <laughs> I was way too good for that. Way too good. <laughs> Most I'm people in my own mind, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, now, do you also, like... You know, one of the things when you're buying a house, at least for the most people, uh, they're worried about that interest deduction on their tax return. And if you're buying a, if you're financing a two, three million dollar house, you're only going to get a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar tax deduction at this point. Um, do you have strategies for that, or is at that point it just doesn't matter? Right. It's really interesting you bring that up, Bob, because when you get into the higher levels that I'm at, and I have clients, of course, that own homes, 20 million, 50 million, I have a client with a 90 million dollar home. I do loans in a condo project in New York at 220 Central Park South, where Ken Griffith bought the most expensive home in America. It's a condo at 200 and roughly $250 million. So what happens is as you get into the larger properties, I'm not I'm not giving CPA advice or legal advice, but let me tell you, there are LLCs that you can set up and these are investments and you can take a lot of tax benefits on these investments because ah. we're talking about investments now. We're not just talking about a, a three or four hundred thousand dollar or five hundred thousand dollar home to live in where you your main deduction is that owner occupied tax deduction that's now limited to about 750 i believe right that's right this number so it's, yeah this is a whole different as you, as you know from your professional background yeah. this is totally different yeah no that's totally um i'm wondering if you uh, got to work on the aaron spelling project that was a really big house uh that he developed i think his wife recently sold um that's like well, probably I, the- I, I didn't do that but i've done a lot of other real high-end ones my favorite one right now 
is a $90 million home uh, in Beverly Hills. And uh, I've done a tremendous number in Beverly Hills. And my first celebrity you know, client back in 1986 was George C. Scott, who lived in Beverly Hills. And he was buying in Malibu, which is another very interesting uh, real estate market. These are two of the top markets in the country. You know, Do you find there's any difference between like celebrity clients and then just wealthy clients that just have a lot of money? Um, you know, the folks that are living in Malibu Colony or uh, like, you know, hey, I'm a star. Do they do they come in with a different attitude than the other folks that are just I'm old money? I don't need to, imp- uh, you know, I don't need to uh, impress anybody. You know, it's really funny you say that because it's it's really about egos. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Today, you could run a hedge fund and think you're a bigger celebrity than right. anyone else. Or you could become a celebrity and then become president. You know, right. you can, it becomes all these different things. You got options. You got options. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it comes down to the individual. You and I were talking about an individual before the show started who's a major celebrity, but one of the sweetest, nicest, generous human beings I've ever met. And then there's other people that are not. You know, right. and, and it really isn't confined or limited. It's about the individual. And that's what makes this uh, so interesting is I deal with so many high powered people yeah. on a daily basis. I mean, it, just today, I'm dealing with the owner of a baseball team. I'm dealing with a, a major celebrity in Hollywood. I'm dealing with uh, people in uh, on the East Coast who are huge financial people. And each one of them is, you know, we're really focused on how we save them the most money and get them the best terms. It's that in that area we all come together because even when you buy a $400,000 house, this is often the largest personal purchase in your life. Right. A home is the largest personal purchase in all of these people's lives. They may buy a lot. They might buy a billion dollar businesses, but often on a personal level, they may have jets. They may have, you know, exotic automobiles, but nothing is more expensive than the homes they're buying on a personal basis. And how do you navigate? There's a lot of ego there. So I would imagine and and not intentional. It just, it just comes with the territory. How do you navigate that? I mean, is that part of being good in sales and being able to relate to people and being able to just uh, banter with folks? You know, I tell people when they ask me, because I my average client is borrowing $8 million to finance a house, and I don't think there's anybody else in America that does what I do with that kind of average financing. And I say that 80% of what I do is talk people off the ledge. Right. Because no matter who you are and how powerful you are, you can either think that this is a given that you're entitled to this, or you may feel gratitude and a, and a different kind of, you go into it with a different attitude. But at every point during transactions, whether they're purchases or refinances, cash out, the construction, people have these moments where they're ready to, to go ballistic yeah, and, and things aren't working exactly right. And thank God, because I have 36 years of experience of knowing every option in how to get through a lot of different apparent speed bumps or barricades, as well as on a personal level, I think the value, if you call it being a salesman, is 
the self-deprecation that I understand that it's not about me. It's about getting them to understand that this is going to work out and how we're going to make it work out and getting back on track so they don't quit before the miracle. Right. Because every one of these loans in my book is a miracle. Yeah. When I can close a loan for $20 million one day for a second home in Aspen at 75% loan to value at 2%. Interest, you know, wow. these are amazing. I've been yeah. around a long time. These are amazing times right now. I call it this is the time of opportunity. You know, <laughs> it's it is so available to save money and build wealth yeah. through real estate right now, like no other time I have seen in my lifetime. And I, I imagine you play a little bit of a therapist when if you're talking people off the ledge. Um, because like I know for myself, even when I've, I'm doing a refinance or the couple properties that I've bought, even though I know I had the money in the bank, uh, I had the credit score, uh, they start looking at everything very critically. And then I start to have a meltdown, even though it always goes through. But there's like it's my own story that I create this panic of like, oh, my God, this will be the, they're going to find something, um, even well, though I didn't is, do anything. This is the beauty of it. When I'm dealing with people like this. Uh, every single client, we're human beings. We all have issues that have happened in our lives, whether through divorce or credit or this or that. And I want to make sure I have it up front so that what I do is make sure the lender understands right at the beginning what is the toughest part of the person that we're dealing with. So we dispose of that before we start anything else and then it's smoother sailing whereas most mortgage people i've known try to put it under the rug so to speak right Right. i hope they don't find out you know (laughs) totally the wrong approach to life and and it's really based on the fact that and this is a funny part of why i find myself different than a lot of mortgage people and why i feel so blessed and grateful to be doing $8 million loans all day long is because like I've told all these private banks, including Angelo Mazzillo, when he hired me at Countrywide and Dick Rosenberg, when he was CEO of Bank of America, because I have such a special clientele comes with it a special responsibility right. that I have. And just like the old Hebrew national commercial, I answer to a higher power than the <laughs> bank. Okay. Yeah. So as long as we understand that we're in line with honesty and being upfront, or we call it today transparent, yeah, we're going to get along fine. And if the bank isn't being honest on their side, right. we're going to have a problem as well. And normally banks go in and out of markets and aren't always honest about their priorities and their agenda. So I make sure that we're both right up there uh, honest at the beginning. And fortunately, over 36 years, I have connection and access to the top people at every single bank that I deal with for my clients so that I'm dealing with the head of the private bank or a managing director of a bank or, you know, not just a loan officer. I mean, all, there are great loan officers working for some of the banks, but it's more important that my clients get up into the banks at a much higher level. Yeah. And that our level of honesty is about relationship and not transaction. Now, when you do a loan on a conforming home, typically you're doing a 
a transaction. Right. Because when I do a loan for my clients, when I advise them on their financing, we're building a relationship and they basically are giving them the mortgage in order to have an asset side depository relationship yeah. with people they would love to have at that bank. Yeah, I, you know, you bring up a really important point that I've talked about before and, and I feel it's true with my clients. I don't do tax returns. I do relationships. And it's about having the relationship, the trust, the integrity, um, and looking at things long term. And I, I think that's so important in sustainability if, if, if for a business uh, if you're not just looking for the quick buck or just making everything transactional. Um, I know with the uh, with the comedy store a few years ago uh, when things were tough, um, we we weren't able to get a loan because just lending wasn't happening. Um, Mitzi wasn't well. There wasn't money to be had. And I had a relationship with a small bank that ended up giving us the loan because of the relationship and because of who the comedy store was, not because we had money rolling out the doors. You well, know? how big was that loan? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was about $2 million. And, you know, today for that same place, <laughs> we just did an $8 million loan. <laughs> so it's recorded. It's public information. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, so this is how times have changed. And we're no longer in the old handshake business that I loved years ago between a banker and a client and in small town America with a James Stewart movie frame right. picture. Right? We're That's, in a different world where most people are just a number. And that is really, it's a sad part of the progress that we have. Yeah, I think so. I mean, everything is so, I mean, I think for a period of time, I enjoyed not having to talk to people and I could just click a button and all that. But I do actually miss the interaction uh, because for me, it is the relationship. It's it's not the efficiency. Oh, he's going to talk to me for three minutes. That's a waste of my time. I just want to keep moving. And um, I, I think there is something in that, though, the developing a relationship. Well, like you said, the, the, the original loans of 500000 or maybe even as high as seven fifty in some areas are based on a formula. And they put in the data in a formula and it pops out with, a, you know, yes or no for the money. When we're dealing with $8 million, $10 million, $20 million mortgages, uh, even a $3 million or $2 million, it's no longer in any formula. It's really customized and individualized. And I like that so much more Why, as I've you know, gone through the mortgage business. But there's been some incredibly funny uh, experiences. Like I, did a, uh, I moved to the desert. I live in Rancho Mirage. And I'm able to serve the entire country, even before the pandemic. I could serve the entire country from my kitchen table. Okay. And I have one full-time... Uh, assistant who's wonderful and uh, I did loans in a place called the Vintage Country Club which is a beautiful exclusive country club in Indian Wells, California and one of the clients that I was asked to serve back then we were going to do a $2 million loan which was a big loan back then years ago and as I was introduced to him he shook hands with me and he said hi I'm the most hated man in Canada and I (laughs) And I said, you know, I've had a lot of introductions with people, but I've never uh, met anyone who's the most hated man in Canada. I guess I'm going to find out why in the next sentence. 
And he said, I own the Edmonton Oilers, and I stole, sold Wayne Gretzky to the Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and he was the most hated man in Canada. That is hilarious. <laughs> and I've met many men and many uh, people like that have like incredible, unique world life experiences yeah. that I get, uh, as we say, that I've, I got to come in contact with. But I also for free, love to help people who are buying property that are $500,000. And it's more important in some ways that they are not taken advantage of, which many, many are by having, you know, entertainers doing TV commercials and all the rest. So they pad their profits at the expense of somebody buying. So those people I do for free. So oh, anybody nice. who wants to call me from your audience and talk about trying to work through some personal issue on a small loan, I'm happy to consult with them at no charge as my way of trying to give back because I do answer to this higher power. And I want to and I'm so grateful for the living that I've been earning that I do want to be able to to use that experience and knowledge and access to help people that are starting out. Or, or, or maybe not even starting out, but also in that arena, work hardworking people who are looking to buy a home in that in that arena. No, that's so nice to hear. You know, I recently did a refinance, um, and I won't name the lending company, but uh, they had said to me, "Hey, we'll do a refi for you because um, you're already with us." And so I said, "Great!" And they put the numbers together. And I noticed that they were charging me $12,000 for closing costs. And so I called them up and I said, wait, wait a minute. You're charging me $12,000 of closing costs. She goes, well, you're not going to be out of pocket. We're just going to add it to the loan. Oh. And I said, okay, that $12,000 now becomes probably $30,000. That's right. More. That's you know? right. That's right. And so just so your viewers know, as of this date, rates are always changing. But we're here on this beautiful Friday the 13th. I mean, the lucky day, right? Yep. As uh, they should know that if you're doing a conforming loan today, the zero point way is the way you generally want to go with, with very few exceptions and not have these costs. And today, the rate should be no more than two and three quarters for a 30-year fix and no more than two and a half percent. For a 15-year fix. Okay. And that doesn't matter whether it's purchase or refi okay. on, on those loans that you're, you're talking about that are up to $500,000. And that would be a primary residence only, right? Not, uh, not well, rental second properties? Homes, no, rental properties would be more expensive, but you're right. That's primary and probably second homes. And second, second homes. That's awesome. What is your favorite part i mean i'm sure that closing the deal is a good part of the deal but like what's your favorite part of the process when you're start to finish you meet somebody they tell you're the most hated person in the world and uh and then and you're off to the races what's what was the best so great part? about my 30 to 60 day process with people you know we we have very intense relationships for 30 yeah. to 60 days is one when i get what i do that's different than a normal lender i say, i get a personal financial statement which a conforming lender, you know, doesn't even know what, what that means. Yeah. And I get that and I get a narrative to know most of my people are relatively famous. So it's easy to Google them and really get their full narrative. Right. And, and what they're trying to accomplish 
in this transaction and be able to take that and come back with the terms from a private bank, which I usually do, that are the lowest rates in America. And I'm able to share with them that I've gotten them the lowest rates in America. I'm closing a few loans this week for, for my clients at 1.875% interest wow. and no points. That makes me happy. Then yeah. we go through the process. And the next huge milestone is getting approval, which in a sense, my clients are approved before we start the process. But we get the process and we get the approval. And with the approval, we get the word that we can go to loan docs. And we call that clear to close. And when I get the clear to close for somebody that we're ready to go to loan docs right now, that's a real exciting time for everybody involved. They know it's all done and now they just have to go to escrow and sign the loan docs. They're going to be coming in the next few days. And then, of course, when it funds and closes and a few days later is another high point. And the only thing that matches it all is the day after when they wire me my fee. For right. So, <laughs> That's always nice. <laughs> That's, and do you have to go through like so I know when I went through my last refi, um, they were very confused that I went by the name Bob because the title was under the name Robert. Right. And so I had to write this letter explaining that Bob is just a nickname for Robert. And I had to write all these crazy explanations for things that seem so basic. Do you yeah. have to go through that kind of stuff even on the bigger loans? Well, some of the trivial type things like names, we usually have a form that just has all the different names. And when they sign their 130 pages of loan docs, <laughs> one of the signatures is, yes, this is all me, you know, but we don't make it a special, you yeah. know, traumatic experience. You know, <laughs> it's part of the whole trauma. Of signing yeah. loan. You know, loan docs used to be about five pages. Today, right. I literally had loan docs with one loan was 150 pages. So that's the most onerous part of the whole process is going through it. One of the first loans I did were for two district attorneys in Ventura County who were buying a house together. And they were lawyers and not only that, district attorneys. So when I gave them their loan docs, they started to read every word oh of every sentence. I grabbed the docs from them and said, listen, I don't have time for this. <laughs> you know, you got to trust and sign this and go home and read it on your own time. And then if you have a problem, come back. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's it's such a it's a silly process. And, and talking to people, you know, this is one of the keys that is so much fun to my business. I had a client who was probably one of the most famous actors in his day in 1980s. And he was trying to do something with purchasing a home in Malibu, a very expensive home, and not tell his wife about it. <laughs> and, and he was going to leave her and he didn't want the tabloids to know and he didn't want her to know. And he was, don't you know who I am? Really one of the top most famous people in Hollywood. And I had to go sit down, and he was a very volatile personality, and I had to sit down with him at the kitchen table, and back, and I had the loan docs, it was several million dollars, which was a lot of money then, it's still yeah. a lot of money now, but yeah. it was really a lot of money, but, and he didn't need the loan, but his business manager wanted him to do it for tax reasons, and keep right. his money in investments that are paying a lot more money. I had to sit down with him at his kitchen table, and 
I had heard how he had punched out a few people. Now, <laughs> his accountant was too afraid to tell him you can't do this. His attorney was too afraid to tell him it's a community property state. Right. You can't do this. And here I am with the loan docs. And by the way, I had the loan docs printed in both him and his wife's name <laughs> already. Right. And I sat down with him at his kitchen table and he was about three feet away from me. Thank God he was on the wagon that day. <laughs> <laughs> because if he wasn't, God only knows what would have happened. But he was on the wagon. He told me he was on the wagon. And and we sat down and I said, I asked him, what are you trying to do? Because you don't want your wife, to know, you know, through this whole thing, you don't want your wife to know anything about this. And he's, then he explained just what I told you. Yeah. And I had to say to him, and you will understand this perfectly, Bob. I said, one of the great things about my job is I know more about you, I told this famous, famous actor, than anybody else on earth. Your accountant has part of the story. I have all that. Your lawyer has part of the story. I have all that. All your divorce papers, everything. everything. Right? I got your credit reports. I know your whole history. Right? I know more about you than any other single human being. And I got to tell you, you can't do what you think you want to do. But not only can't you do it, but I am in no place to judge. I'm only here to create a, a real simple service for you. I'm nobody. But I got to tell you, when you married this woman, she was your best friend. She loved her. She was a partner. And this is how you're going to treat her? I said, man to man, you cannot be doing this. This is wrong. And while I'm telling him this little, you know, I answer to a higher power kind yeah. of stuff of what's right and wrong, his business manager, who's also very famous and in his 70s, was turning not red, but purple because <laughs> he brought me into this transaction. And he goes, you can't talk to him like this. You can't talk to him. And I was afraid he was going to have a stroke. Right. <laughs> and then this very famous actor gets up and puts his famous his face right in my face about three inches away i thought he was going to throw a punch i didn't know and he said who the hell expects this from a banker <laughs> and then he sat back down and said he hadn't been able to sleep in weeks he knew that something was wrong and nobody would tell him yeah it was wrong he went and had the business manager bring now by this time the business manager's going I don't believe it. I don't believe it. <laughs> and he's going, give me the phone. And he calls his famous wife, who's also a movie star, and starts to tell her the truth, that what he was going to do, buy the house, leave her, and he's really sorry, and he wants to try one more time to reconcile. Wow. And that touched my heart. I mean, yeah. I was almost crying. Right? Yeah. And yeah. then I started to say something, and he said, shut the F up. <laughs> I've had as much sincerity as I can take for one day. And we became very good friends after that. Of course, we're close alone. But, you know, I'm, I'm there to do retail, you know, private mortgage banking, but I'm really there for something else. We're all here in life for a reason and reasons. And we're put in the positions and relationships for a reason. If we're willing to look at it, with a higher consciousness about what we're doing. So when you asked me at the beginning, 
did I ever want to dream of being in the mortgage business or something? Of course, I never would think of that. I've always dreamt of money, of course. Women, <laughs> women and money, how can I not, right? And I have a beautiful wife whose picture is behind me, and I have um, the most highest level career that I could have ever dreamed of, but it's only because I'm doing the footwork. I'm no big shot. I'm no big star. But what I'm doing is able to provide a service that is so unique, it seems, because we're surrounded by people who would like to live in fantasy and delusion and demoralization and all the rest. And I'm not wired that way. Yeah. I'm wired that somehow I'm supposed to be of service, just like you are. You're yeah. providing this great service, Bob, of talking about money and educating people better, more about their, their money issues. And, and it's all just a great, a great opportunity or proportunity, as I say, <laughs> for us to keep moving forward and helping people become wealthy. Because yeah. residential real estate is a great part of the road to wealth. And to, to gain wealth, retain wealth, grow wealth, and pass it on to your next generations, your heirs. This is a beautiful thing about under all is the land that yeah. we're living in in this great country yeah. that we live in. No, that's awesome. And um, now I know uh, you've thought about money, and I know that one of your mantras or your mottos is cash is king, um, which I think is really true today, even more so than ever. Um, you know, that's what I've been saying to a lot of my clients right now with all this uncertainty cash is king. Like, hold on to the cash, be able to work from cash. How did you come to that realization? And and, and how does that impact you? Like, how does that influence you? Cash is king. You know, it's a funny story because I don't know. I, I come from very humble beginnings. I grew up in a bunk bed in a kitchen in Brooklyn, New York. That's where I was born. Wow. And my parents were hardworking people and taught me the value of education. But in my careers, I've had, you know, I've grown a lot of money and I've lost a lot of money and, and I've spent money foolishly and invested money foolishly only in retrospect do i say foolishly right with hindsight of after the crash you get to see oh i should have done that oh, <laughs> <know>? bad idea <laughs> and each time i go back and say god we, we, can we do this again i promise this time it'll be different <laughs> but it's always about you know my father used to say rich or poor it's good to have money <laughs> right <laughs> That's right. So, you know, so really what it is, is part of our freedom. Part of our ability to have choices is to really be. And, and so I also grew up with relatives. I have one uncle that had a candy store in Brooklyn and lived above the candy store. You know, so often we find that other people and he did OK and his kids all went to college, first generation and all that stuff. But we find a lot of people think having luxury goods that depreciate in value, that for me, is, which is mostly meaningless, is running out and spending money to be showing off or yeah. to, you know, these kinds of things is a big mistake, you know. And there's everyone has their own level of risk and savings and how to do it, you know. So, so each of us has to find a happy medium that allows us to enjoy life, to go out to dinner, to do the things we like to do. But also know that that money can have an alternative use that will sustain you, 
will help you in later years. So you need both a short term and what's missing in a lot of people is long term consequence to see the long term consequence of your action and your choices. And that's why it's always fun to be able to, you know, look at your, for me, to look at a bank account, investment accounts, my value of my homes and say, this is good. I feel more secure. I feel better about where I'm at. And not just for me, but for my wife, for my family. Yeah. That I have that sense of responsibility that is not a burden. It's, it's, it's a gift. Right. To have responsibility is a gift. And too many people don't want to want to be irresponsible. I mean, yeah. we see it with this pandemic. Yeah. The level of irresponsibility and lack of seeing the consequence right. of people's actions is astounding to me. My clients know how to deal with money. You yeah. know, and that's what makes it so much fun is they at least get that the value of money to do all kinds of things. And as I say, some are extremely generous and philanthropic. You know, I've been on the board of the Children's Museum here in Rancho Mirage Ah. with Walter Annenberg and Gerald Ford and people from other walks of life who were incredibly generous people who create for me the role models and and people in the entertainment industry. Some of the most generous people there are in, in, in professional sports. Some of the most generous people there are are in these endeavors. And I get to interact with them and learn from them. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you talk about with people not looking at consequence, I think culturally, um, at least for the last couple decades, it's mostly about instant gratification and what can I get, what can I get? And and I think the majority of citizens aren't looking ahead or planning for their future or have put money aside because I got to have this today instead of thinking about, oh, this is how it's going to play out in the long run. Um, yeah, I think the biggest generation of instant gratitude I've, I saw was in like the 80s. Yeah. The 1980s personified that, you know, they called the cocaine generation. It was just immediate party pleasure. And young people are always going to be doing some, you know, partying, even in this pandemic, that urge to get out and dance, you know, is is so much there. But what's happened is I've watched a lot more fear. There is a level of fear in in the in the universe here that I hadn't seen before. And I've seen it personified in the last five years, let's say, and certainly aggravated from what's coming from government that is a a, a fear-based message that pushes people often into just being even more selfish and self-centered, which at the core is fear rather than instant gratification. Yeah. It's sort of, it somehow sometimes gets displayed that way. Right. But it's really going down to the causes and conditions. And that's why I prefer dealing with people with money because in, in this endeavor, because I can benefit them and they have an understanding of the value of right. it, you know, yeah. and the use of it, the proper use. And their word is good. You know, I don't care what political spectrum you're from, right wing, left wing. People I deal with who have doing these things are people of their word. Yeah. And I love dealing with people with when they say something, it has meaning and I could count on it. 
you know, and and that's a that's a truly great part of my job, my business. No, that's awesome, and I think integrity and knowing that there's a a higher purpose and a you know, right. It's it's important. What would you say? I know we're getting close to the end here. What would you say uh, are a couple of strategies for people out there that want to have more wealth, that want to make a shift? Um, you know, just based on all that you know and your experiences, what would you say are a couple of strategies that people could do practically to start to shift that? Right. It really it really depends on, on where you are in your age and career and your savings and your money and your family. But typically, to give a general answer, buying a home instead of renting is usually the place to start because that then gives you the basis of not only a more comfortable and secure place to be living day to day and taking care of your family, but it allows you, especially in an, an interest rate that's in the 2% environment, to grow wealth. Because yeah. homes are going to go up more than 2% uh, compounded while you're paying simple interest in the 2% range, which is a whole other discussion. But that's where a big part of that value comes in, that you don't have to worry about losing your money. And as long as you're not paying much more or any more than rent, you're never going to be in a bad condition owning a home. And then that home, as you build equity, if nothing else is going on with you, that home can become the source of your down payments or investment money or however you choose to further building wealth. And that is such a personal issue of how to build wealth once you own a home to build more wealth and own more real estate if, if that's what you're meant to. Now, we also live in a time where Airbnb and these other uh, kinds of disruptors have changed the rental income of property, where before it might have been, let's say, you'd make $2,000 a month right. on, a, on a real estate. Now you might be able to make you know, $8,000 more or more you know, on that same piece of property by renting it out on a shorter term as long as it's compatible and you have the the uh, the right property and the right uh, uh, willing to do the work that that requires, etc. And you can build up. I know people have built up a number of properties quickly because of that, because then they take that money and buy more property and keep repeating that. So it really is getting a planning and a strategy and a and goals and, and having more for more uh, uh, looking into the future of where you want to be with this situation if you want to build wealth. And I think, you know, it's a good and still enjoy life and still enjoy know, life and still enjoy life. You know, I'm a I'm a big uh, proponent of making of really having fun each day and making every day delightful. So final question, Ira. What do you want your legacy your impact, your footprint to be? Wow. Is that a heavy question? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we were just but, talking about banking here. I know, <laughs> but well, we're not because you've got like integrity and you've got a heart and you care and uh, that's important. Thank you, Bob. You know, like, like all adjusted human beings, it's all about love. And hopefully I've given people a lot of love in my life. And hopefully I got, I'm still shooting for 120, you know, years. (laughs) And the Bible said that, you know. So, um, but hopefully I I impart a lot of love and care and kindness 
to yeah. people because those are the things that are really important in this life. And uh, as far as what I'm doing now, I just want to be able to continue benefiting other people, serving other people, and see more and more uh, what, what the next thing is around the next corner uh, of what we do and where it goes. And, and that has been so interesting over these 36 years that, from where I started from. And certainly over a lifetime in a bunk bed in a kitchen in Brooklyn <laughs> from where I started from. And I, you know, I start every day thanking God and I end every day thanking God. And that's the best I can do. I think that's awesome. And it's sort of it's interesting this morning. I have a stack of uh, money and empowerment cards and I, I, I pull out a card and sort of see what the inspiration. And today the, the money card said it's all about love. Wow. <laughs> So yeah. I think it's just remember just, on the back of the bill, it says in God, we trust. So that's right. That is a, that, that's why one of the reasons cash is king. Cash is king. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, Ira, uh, this has been so awesome. Where can people find you on social media, websites, all that good stuff? The simplest thing is spelled out one million dollar plus dot, dot com is the website and they can find me at one million dollar plus at gmail.com but of course the website has my phone number and all this other all stuff. that good stuff and, and i hope people pleasure hope to people, be with you bob no it's been awesome i will make sure we post all that information um i just want to say share to our listeners don't forget to share the love you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram search for money you should ask all one word you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to the YouTube and subscribe to our channel. Ira, thank you so much. It's so been a pleasure. Thank you, and I hope I can help your listeners with any questions and any help I can give them. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely.